What a story for uh, Toby Amundsen. She broke her own record. How about that? She set the world's record in the semis and then broke it in the finals. Now, granted, it's wind-dated, but still, that's pretty unbelievable from the former UTEP minor. Great way for us to start the show today. I love it when we can begin a week with a record holder from UTEP, a world record holder. Toby Amundsen, congratulations. Uh, what a story, Adrian. And uh, again, uh, we talk about it all the time. When will football win a bowl game? When will basketball go back and win an NCAA tournament game? Uh, quietly, with no fanfare or publicity, track and field continues to uh, churn out world record holders, NCAA champions, Olympians, Olympic medalists. It's a, it's, a, it's the norm. It's the norm here at UTEP, which is unbelievable because they've had the most success dating back to the 60s with the least amount of fanfare the entire time. It's one. It's a normal for UTEP track and field, and it's something that uh, people in El Paso should never take for granted because you have these amazing athletes who go through the UTEP ranks. They some of them end up leaving early, and they they start their pro careers early. Some of them spend four seasons with the minors, hang a bunch of banners, and then uh, end up going pro afterward. But the point is, the track record, no pun intended, of success for these athletes are uh, you know it's just adding to the list. Toby, Emmanuel, they add to this long list of UTEP track and field athletes who've had so much success on the national scale. Totally agree. Totally agree with you. So, uh, But that's the story, and that's how we lead the show today and get ready for the start of the week. Hope you all had a good weekend. Hope everybody's good. My son and a bunch of friends were at the UTEP basketball camp today. Nice. They had a good time. From what I understand, it was fun. Listen, the only problem with the Utah basketball camp is it's only three hours long. Now, when I was my son's age, the Don Haskins camp was a sleepaway camp. You went to the camp, you slept in the dorms, and it was a whole week's worth of, uh, of, of overnight camping. That's the way it used to be back in the 80s, okay? I don't know, you know... I'm fine with the idea of not letting them sleep over. I get that. You got the liability with all that in the dorms. I understand all that. But I'm hoping there's some way they can make this camp like five or six hours long instead of three hours long. It's like you drop the kids off, you pick them up. So, uh, Joe, if you're listening, talking about you, Joe Golding, please consider making this camp a little longer next year so that way we're not dealing with uh, just a, a three-hour camp for four days. Yeah, it's what uh, ten years old to eighteen years old, Steve. They moved it. Uh, they moved it back to six years old. Okay, okay. So they're still allowing kids to join in. They are. I thought there was a little confusion last week as far as the age of the ages who were allowed at the camp. Oh, so, there was. Yeah, but I'm glad that they uh, made it inclusive, opened it up for everybody out there, and yeah, extend it, make it a little longer for everybody. I get it. And my idea still stands, by the way. Okay, that's the sleepaway camp returns for adults. And you do the UTEP Fantasy Camp, where you bring back all these guys from the last 50 years, and you let them uh, have fun with a bunch of uh, people my age or even older or younger, whoever whoever wants to spend the money. And uh, they do it like the Jordan Camp. Same thing, 
except you do it here at UTEP. You get a UTEP jersey, an authentic jersey. You get a basketball, whatever you want, and you get to play games. And ultimately, the uh, end ga- the end goal is having a chance to uh, to hoop it up uh, against uh, some of the former miners. You know, Steve, you're you're saying this uh, too often to where it makes me think that the school that's 45 minutes uh, east of or excuse me, west of I-10, right here. They, they might be uh, sniffing that idea out and wanting to do something like that. How Mocha hasn't thought of this yet is beyond me because that guy usually has the most clever ways of raising money on the face of the earth uh, covered, right? He's got every form of booze there is known to man. I already went uh, this past week, a couple weeks ago to a, a winery and I saw uh, NMSU Nuts. That's right. They got peanuts that are now NMSU. uh, It's either peanuts or some kind of nut. I don't know. I I, I didn't. I didn't buy it. But I mean, he's got his nut. You know, he's got his nuts covered. So he's all set there. Uh, No pun intended, Mario. If you're listening, I love you. Um, But how you haven't thought of the sleepaway camp idea for alumni is beyond me. I mean, really, why? Why does? uh, Why do these schools not have a fantasy camp? What are you worried about? Let them sign a waiver. So if somebody, you know, God forbid, something really bad, hey, you know what? It's it, the waiver is signed. You're, you're, you know, you're, um, you're not having to worry about that. Look, plus you could have, you could have trainers there. You could have trainers. Dawn is retired. She has nothing to do besides spend her time at the lake. Hire her for a week and let her deal with wrapping up some of these guys that are suddenly, uh, you know, pulling muscles and dealing with injuries after a while. Hey, they they all went out and got a whole squad assembled for that TBT tournament for the uh, yep. New Mexico State alumni basketball players. Why not round up that same group and ask them to do a sleepover or better yet, you know, UTEP does it in their own backyard. That's what I'm saying, Adrian. That is exactly what I'm saying. So anyway, uh, you know, hey, it's uh, it's an idea, folks. So all I can do is give ideas. Whether UTEP uh, accepts them or not, that's up to them. But at least the ideas are, are floated out there, right? So, but please, for the kids, just uh, extend the camp. This three-hour nonsense has got to stop. It used to be a it used to be a day's worth. Now it's like a morning. Come on, you guys could do better than that. Yeah, I'm a, a little longer than a morning, you know. Maybe uh, make it so it's an afternoon lunch, and then they well, scrimmage each other, or something like that. You know, my son is getting to the age now where he would love a chance to sleep over at UTEP for a week. That'd be cool. Like have a chance to ultimately, you know, camp during the day, and then and and all it takes. I mean, it's not difficult. Just talk to any of the thousands of El Pasoans that attended the Don Haskins sleepaway camps, uh, and and you'll get the details of how that worked for them back in the day, and can you can utilize that same concept now. Simple as that. And guess what? If it's a sleepaway camp, it's going to be a little more money, right? You can, you're going to make more. Simple as that. And then maybe you have two options. You have the sleepaway option, and then if you want to get picked up at the end of the day, you can do that too. But either way, what a great idea. And, and you know what? Something else? Parents would give up that money to get their kids out of the house for a week without even blinking an eye. They would be like, wait, you're going to let our kids, uh, you're going to let them sleep over at UTEP? How much? Oh, yeah, take it. Just take our money. Take our money. We, we, we want, a week, uh, want a week off. You better. You betcha. It'd be perfect.
You know, when I was in high school, which wasn't honestly that long ago, I had a chance, not an athlete-driven uh, sleepaway camp at UTEP, but it was like a journalism sleepaway camp. So I wasn't good enough to play any basketball or football, uh, but I, I played a little varsity journalism in my time. And, uh, you know, I did get a chance to do like a stay-away camp there. They put us in the dorms. Like I was nice. like in high school, and they put us in the dorms. That's a lot of fun. They should bring that for a lot of kids in, in you know, actual sports and stuff like that for the summer. I'm with you on that one. Trust me, I'm full of ideas of how UTEP can make money. Full of them. So that's the I uh, And New Mexico State, if you're listening, hey, I'm not just uh, limiting it to the minors. I mean, Mario, these are free ideas, man. And, you know, you've got a, you've got a brain trust that can come up with this stuff on your own. But, hey, always want to help. Always want to help. All right, Adrian, we've got a stacked show today, don't we? Yeah, we got a great show. I'm so excited for it. A lot of sports to talk about this week. I know some people might think, what kind of sports are out there? Well, this is the calm before the storm, Steve. We're getting ready for all the sports that are coming here before you know it. We've got a, uh, you know, all the talk about Ivan Melendez. There were four Aggie baseball players drafted, and a couple of them had uh, El Paso ties. One of them is going to join us in the next 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get Sammy Natera, who's going to join us. He was drafted in the 17th round through the Los Angeles Angels system. Uh, he is somebody who graduated from Lydia Patterson here in El Paso, so has uh, a lot of borderland ties here, uh, played with New Mexico State, and now he's getting a chance to head on out and play professionally. I, I believe he's from Juarez, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll get yeah. a chance to ask him before we bring him on, but yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great to have Sammy on the show. It sure is. So, and, and by the way, congratulations to all these guys getting drafted. That's really cool, too. Four Aggie players drafted. Uh, I, I feel like it was two players. Um, it was Nateta, and also it was, uh, I guess it's uh, Ian Mejia. That's correct. Ian Mejia. Uh, it might be Ian Mejia. And then in addition to Ian uh, and Sammy, two guys that were committed to New Mexico State were both drafted and decided that they're going to go pro rather than come to Cruces. That's right. That's exactly right. Four guys who got a chance to be drafted from the uh, New Mexico, who had New Mexico State ties. That's great for that Aggie baseball program. Coach Kirby, uh, I know he's on vacation this week, but he's excited for his squad. And, uh, you know, even for the pitching coach Zuniga out there for uh, Coach Zuniga out there for New Mexico State, he was thrilled to hear the news for all his ex players. According to the Aggie baseball uh, Twitter handle that just sent out this tweet, Six Aggies from the roster in 2022 are all signing a pro contract. I thought it was four, six now. Adrian. Wow. Okay. Great. Well, I mean, that's that's great news right there. I, I wasn't aware of that either. Alex Bustamante is the next one. So that's uh, it's also very cool. So we'll look forward to doing that. Then we're going to talk some NBA in the five o'clock hour with Kurt Heelan from Pro Basketball Talk. Um, and by the way. With the KD rumors over the uh, that surfaced yesterday and today, actually this morning, KD to possibly uh, Boston, which would be wild. But that ultimately has uh, kind of re- reinvigorated the uh, NBA rumor mill this week. Yeah, back in 2017, one of the fan favorites for the Celtics, Isaiah Thomas, was dealt away from Cel- the Celtics, and he had and he uh, was shipped over to Cleveland in exchange for Kyrie Irving. This trade, the way that it's coming about, it kind of reminds me, I mean, the off-the-court reasons. It, it kind of reminds me of that one. Jalen Brown is a fan favorite in Boston. A lot of fans love him. They made it all the way to the finals and barely lost to the Warriors. Uh, to take it over the top, trading him along with Marcus Smart for Kevin Durant seems like a lot. Uh, some argue it's worth it for the Celtics. I don't know if it's worth it off the court, especially the image for the Celtics, but hey, Boston has shown in the past they're ruthless when it comes to trades. They, they'll, they'll do whatever it takes to 
try to win. I always wonder, though, if you're going to get um, you know Jason Tatum teaming up with Kevin Durant, that's a pretty uh, dynamic group. Now, the question is, if you take an all-star in Brown and then you take Smart away, does, does KD make it better? Because you don't want to just offset it. You want to improve. So that's going to be the bigger question is, can KDA stay healthy? And if he does stay healthy, you team him up with uh, with Tatum, it's a pretty dynamic one-two punch out there in Beantown. Yeah, it's also a uh, interesting, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because the depth of the Boston will definitely get tested. They got Malcolm Brogdon over the offseason from Indiana uh, as a free agent. And, and they, you know, that's somebody who, or excuse me, in a trade, and that's somebody who might be able to be a nice backup point guard for them. They'd probably slide in Derek Eric White as a starting point guard, and you'd run White, Kevin Durant, uh, Jason Tatum out there, along with the role players like Grant Williams, and then m- maybe Robert Williams down low. I don't know, man. I like Brogdon. I do. I think he's. I think he's. A, he's going to be. That's a sneaky good pickup for Boston. I really do. Yeah, I think so too, and I, I think it it allows you to at least put this roadmap together. I feel I just feel bad for Jalen Brown, man. I mean, imagine if you're Jalen Brown uh, making it all the way to the finals with this Celtics team, and and all you want to do is run it back with the same group. I feel bad for him in a yeah. sense right there, and for Kevin Durant, I, I know he'd be excited to work with Jason Tatum. He's always been complimentary of the young star. We'll talk more about that and everything else going on basketball wise uh, in our five o'clock hour with Kurt Heelan. and then at six. We're going to talk to Brett Bloomquist from the El Paso Times, especially with UTEP football camp opening up on Wednesday. You've got the big preview starting now, and it's the first of many UTEP football articles over the next couple of weeks. So we'll give uh, Bloomy an opportunity to check in here and, and offer up some of the things he's looking forward to when uh, training camp starts. Yeah, UTEP football is here. I mean, we, we got uh, media day coming up tomorrow and, and Wednesday. Uh, you're going to see faces like Gavin Hardison, Praise and Mayhule out there for Frisco. I had an awkward time in Frisco with a lot of teams departing yep. after this year. And then training camp starts on Wednesday, Thursday. So UTEP football, a very, very busy week for them. Looking forward to it. Meanwhile, I'm looking forward to Charlie Wan. He'll kick it off here on a Monday. Sammy Natada coming up next right after this 600 ESPN El Paso. Well, it was a fun season for the Aggie baseball team. And as a result, multiple players getting an opportunity to transition to Pro Bowl. One of those who happens to have El Paso ties is uh, joining us right now on the 600 ESPN El Paso hotline. He is uh, Sammy Nadera, who uh, is a left-handed pitcher and uh, now going to be uh, going to Pro Bowl and experiencing that. Sammy, welcome to the show. Great to have you on, and uh, thanks so much for the time. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you all for having me. You're going to be doing better than pretty good, right, Sammy? I mean, in a matter of time, you're going to be uh, probably starting to face uh, pro hitters uh, for the first time, and uh, I'm sure for you that's a dream come true. No, oh, yeah, I'm really excited. Just like um, all about this is crazy. It's just happening so fast, and I'm just glad and thankful that this is happening right now. Is this something that you expected, or did this catch you a little bit by surprise? I mean, yeah, I was expecting it. Um, like, this is what I work for. This is, like, my um, goal and dream. So, like, it was expected. Just how it happened, it was just unexpected. 
Now you say how it happened because you were drafted in the 17th round by the Angels. So tell me, when the draft was starting uh, a, a little more than, uh, what, a week ago, what were you being told as far as uh, when you might be selected? Yeah, so I knew, like, uh, I was most likely going day three. Um, my advisor had told me about that. Mm-hmm. And just because of how the season went for me, the injuries and all that stuff. But it was just surprising because I haven't talked to the Angels in three years that I've been in uh, in Las Cruises. And I've talked to, like, um, different teams, like uh, several teams, and the Angels was just one of those that I had never talked to. So it was just a surprise. That would be a surprise, for sure, when a team just comes out of nowhere. It kind of makes you wonder, did they scout you? Um, you know, without even realizing it and kind of know enough about you to make the selection. Yeah, so I was talking to my coach uh, actually earlier, uh, my coaching coach at New Mexico State, Keith Suniga, and I was just like, yeah, like, this is crazy, like, how they pick me, and, like, I've never talked to them. He was like, well, like, scouts know each other, and they talk, so, like, might not be a surprise for them. So, like, they knew about me, but I just didn't know about them, you know? Yeah. Well, it's awesome. And now you've had the opportunity to sign and uh, and be a member of the Angels, um, who has a lot of history, by the way. The Angels organization has a lot of history with El Paso ball players. There have been plenty over the years that have been selected by the Angels, uh, either out of high school or out of college. So you join a pretty cool club as far as that's concerned. Uh, what have they told you as far as uh, when they want to send you out and start your pro career? Yeah, so... Um, I was supposed to go yesterday, but they're working on my visa, and I'm going to get, like, a work visa, and they're, like, just working on all that stuff. So whenever that's done, I'm going to head to Phoenix. Okay. So here's the next question for you. How are they working on the work visa for you now, but in college you were able to travel and play? Yeah. um, I used to have a student visa. Well, I still have it. Okay, um, I got you. So it's a different story. One's a student visa and the other's a work visa. I totally get it. I totally get it yeah. now. All right. Uh, Sammy Nateta with us uh, here on Sports Talk. Uh, take me back, okay? You are from Ciudad Juarez. Um, you went to high school at Lydia Patterson. Let me know what your childhood was like growing up in the area and really when you first started playing baseball, Sammy. Yeah, so I started playing when I was five years old um, and just – Juarez in El Paso is just like a big one big city and like I have family that lives in El Paso like most of my family lives in El Paso, El Paso actually so I'm very very much from El Paso as I am from Juarez so yeah I started playing when I was five and then started like showing um talent and uh, um a future in baseball and then I played in Lydia Pedersen, I played basketball and baseball there. And then I went to camp when Coach Green was uh, head coach at New Mexico State. And they offered me a scholarship, and the rest is history. It sounds like it. Was it ever a difficult decision for you to choose baseball over basketball? It really was because my parents, they played basketball. Um, to this day, they still play basketball. And... They, my mom, she said she loves 
watching me playing basketball. And I like it a lot. Like, that's one of my favorite hobbies now. But, you know, like, there's a left-handed pitcher. So um, I just have more future in baseball. I understand. Well, especially now. Now that you've signed with the uh, with the Angels, uh, you're you're going to be getting ready to go once you get your uh, your work visa, and uh, you're all set. So, with all the ties you have to El Paso as well as to Mexico, is the plan to try to uh, get uh, you know dual citizenship? Is that something that's on the agenda for you? No, yeah, for sure. That's something I would love to do. Um... El Paso is a great city for me, and I love it. So, yeah, I would definitely love to stay there. How was Lydia Patterson's baseball team when you were playing there? Uh, that's a tough one. So, um, the team was um, just guys that played different sports. So, we didn't really have baseball players. So, we had, like, the soccer player that wanted to play baseball just for fun, the basketball player that just wanted to play so we didn't have a good baseball team, and I really I didn't pitch my in in high school. I just pitched. I remember I pitched one game, and that was it because um, we just played mainly for fun. Um, yeah, like we were not very competitive, but it was really fun, and I loved my time in Lydia Patterson with Coach UN. It was just really fun. Sammy Natera with us here on Sports Talk. You've, you're a fascinating story, Sammy. I mean, you don't pitch really very much at all in high school. You show up at a camp in New Mexico State. They offer you on the spot. Two or three years later, you find yourself not drafted by the Angels, um, and you haven't even pitched for that long. So when did you first really get comfortable as a pitcher and start to realize that uh, your velocity and your arm could, could translate to that new position? Yeah, so I was like 16, 17 years old. I used to pitch in Juarez instead. I just played like Sunday league in Juarez instead of like pitching in high school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I was, I was older when I started pitching. All right, now that like, brings me that brings me to my next question. Okay, how competitive? is the Sunday league in Juarez? Because I kind of wonder for you, did you get more out of that than you did play in high school ball because of the uh, age, the competition, and, and what you were re- going up against on a regular basis? Yes. So um, just the fact that I prefer to pitch over there like tells how competitive it was. Um, it's just very competitive in Juarez, like, and I was like a 16-year-old kid um, pitching against like 35-year-old man. So um, it was just fun and very competitive, and that helped me, you know, just facing older guys. Yeah, I would and, say so. I'd be I'd be pretty excited about that too. And I'm sure not only did you face older guys, but you probably had older players on your team. And were they giving you some pointers as far as pitching goes when you were like uh, still at 16, 17-year-old age? No, yeah, for sure. Like, um, they obviously, like, saw something in me, and they would come up to me, and they would be like, yeah, just keep working, do this, do this, like, grips. Uh, We talked about grips. We talked about, like, eyesight, everything. So um, people were really helpful, too. Like, everyone was super, like, helpful to me. And just, like, I was just trying to, like, absorb as much as I could. 
More with Sammy Natera as we hit the bottom of the hour here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go right now to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Uh, Sammy Natera with us here on Sports Talk. He's going to be playing for the uh, Los Angeles Angels here very shortly as he gets his work visa scheduled and then heads over to Arizona and gets started with that. Member of the New Mexico State Aggies uh, baseball team. By the way, I was looking at your numbers from last season. You had a start against UIC where you went seven innings, gave up one hit, no walks, and struck out 14 batters. You tell me. I, I mean, and I'm going to include the Sunday Juarez leagues like you mentioned earlier. Did you ever have a start like that in your life? Uh, no, that was probably the best one I've had. Pretty cool one, yeah. Well, hey, going back to your freshman season, all the way back to 2020, you had a chance to appear against number 24 Texas A&M where you were a relief pitcher on the road. You struck out two batters in almost two innings. What was that like? Did that kind of give you that energy to to kind of – or that, I would say, confidence moving forward as a pitcher? No, yeah, that that was for sure my first, like, big step. And my college career, just like real life things, because I was a freshman and I got the ball and I was like, I'm going to do the most out of it. And I went up there and I was throwing hard. That was the first time I threw a 95 when I was a freshman. And yeah, it was just like a confident booster just to go out there and just see I could compete against those guys. It was just a pretty cool moment. All right, now, Sammy, you just said something really interesting in your answer that makes a lot of sense. So, statistic-wise, if we just take your three years at NMSU and average them up, and you look at your ERA and, and hits you gave up, uh, you would say to yourself, oh, there's just, there's just no way. You're not, you know, that's not somebody that, that's going to go pro. But you're a 6'4 lefty who hits the mid-90s with his fastball. And it seems like today, Sammy, teams are more interested in what you throw and how hard you throw than the numbers that they necessarily see as far as box scores go. No, yeah, for sure. Um, numbers, I know my numbers were not great, but I know I've, I've shown like my potential, and I'm just glad that the Angels pulled the trigger on me. And it's hard when the numbers are not the best, but... Just uh, the potential I showed to with some of my starts and just like my um, physique and my stuff. So, yeah, like it's pretty cool that they trust me, you know. It is really cool. And remember, you're still kind of new to pitching. So I think that's probably else something that the Angels look at is projection, what they can do. And as you start to get more comfortable on the mound and more refined and work with them, what can happen? It was funny. I was at spring training this year, and I went to the minor league camp for the Angels, and one of their uh, roving pitching instructors is Chris Carpenter, who is a longtime big leaguer with the St. Louis Cardinals and had some all-star appearances under his belt in uh, the 90s and the 2000s. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I hadn't seen Chris Carpenter in a long time and realized that that's one of his jobs now is to help out with the Angel minor leaguers. So as you get started in your pro career, you're going to be running into a lot of guys like this, so you're going to have a chance to maybe talk to, pick their uh, pick their brain, and, and see what kind of advice they can give you going forward. No, yeah, that's, that's super cool, and I would love to meet Chris Carpenter. And, yeah, like, I would just try to listen as much as I can and listen to him 
pretty much and just like learn from them because they've been there. Yeah, like I'm gonna really try to talk to them for sure. Sammy Nateta with us here on Sports Talk. Uh, grew up in Juarez, uh, between El Paso and Juarez. Uh, then Lydia Patterson, New Mexico State. Now the Angels as uh, he gets ready to uh, start his pro career. All right, give me a scouting report right now on you, Sammy. First off, how many pitches do you throw? How many do you have in your arsenal? I have my fastball, slider, uh, changeup, and splitter before. All right, fastball, slider, changeup, splitter. You mentioned 95. Is that about what you top off at, or do you top off in the high 90s? Uh, I top off 97. All right, 97. What is your most comfortable pitch of the four? Uh, I would say fastball, yeah. Okay. Um, based on your usage in college, did you throw the fastball the majority of the time, or did you mix it up pretty good? Yeah, I threw a lot of fastballs. What pitch do you feel needs the most work right now? Right now, I would say my splitter. Sammy, when when it comes to the finish of the, this past season, we were talking about your abilities right here. Uh, a shoulder injury kind of kept you from the team uh, at the you know the home stretch of the season. How how are you progressing from that shoulder injury that you previously had? I'm doing good now. Um, I I have no pain no more which is great. It was just hard. It was just at the beginning of the season. And, you know, like this season was like super important for me and my school and my team. And it was just hard because it started, uh, it was basically after my first outing when I started feeling it. And it was just hard, a hard time, but God, God helped me through it. And my family, my friends, like I was just, I just felt supported. And now I'm, I'm good to go. I'm healthy. What was it like getting a chance to uh, to pitch in the NCAA tournament since the Aggies were able to get in at the end and you had a chance uh, to see some action against Vanderbilt? Yeah, it was pretty cool. So I actually pitched uh, the game against Utah to pass through the tournament before our conference tournament. And that was my first outing when, that I felt healthy. And then I'm try to make a play and I fell on my shoulder and got hurt again <laughs> and then I couldn't pitch in the tournament and we went to the um to the valleys the original yep and I was like I'm pitching like uh, I don't care I'm pitching and I obviously didn't have my best because I was not like fully healthy but I felt really good my first inning and then just a cool experience just pitching against those guys a lot of history, so yeah. So I'm just thankful for that experience. Sammy, we're excited for you. I think everybody's going to keep an eye on you now for your pro career and see how things progress. That's great. Uh, in terms of NMSU, give me your thoughts on the future of the Aggies program. They, I'm, I'm so happy for them. Um, they have a great program now. Like they're settling in. The coaching staff is great. Um, Keith Zuniga, my pitching coach, I got so close to him and like his family now. And just uh, the way they go about it is just pretty cool. Like with, we had a family last year with uh, like all the players, the coaches, and I'm so excited for them. And it looks like they're going to do pretty good this next couple of years. We'll keep an eye on them. We'll obviously keep an eye on you. Congratulations. Looking forward to following you now in the Angels system. And thanks so much again for uh, joining us on the program today, Sammy. Real appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
You got it. He's Sammy Natera, and he's with us uh, here as we continue. 39 past, more in a moment. Taking you up till 7 o'clock here on this Monday, 600 ESPN El Paso. Yes, Toby Amusan is the new world record holder, number four there. But the Jamaican ran very, very well. Finals bring a different form of nerves, tension, stress. Let's see who can perform. Final of the women's 100. Kenny Harrison got out pretty well. So too did her USA teammate. Running well, Aaliyah Armstrong. Now here comes Toby Amusan. Clearly out in front. Amusan is a world champion. 12.06, she breaks her own world record. The win won't allow that to be though, as it's over the legal limit. But winning Nigeria's first world championship in this event. That was the call yesterday on NBC in the 100 hurdles and the finals. Unbelievable. Toby uh, Amusen, who has been on the show before, lives in El Paso after her UTEP days, works out here, now a world champion. And uh, that is, and, and what's amazing is she set the world record in the semis, broke it in the finals. Now, you heard the announcer say wind-dated, so it's not going to count. But, hey, uh, it is an unbelievable performance in the 100-meter hurdle finals. And uh, this was a – you look at the greatest um, – individual performances at UTEP, okay? And, you know, obviously it's, it starts and ends with the 66 team as a team. We get that. But from an individual standpoint, does this go up there in the same breath as Bob Beeman and some of the other great individual performances that we've seen from uh, UTEP athletes uh, over the years? I, I was trying to think about it because, Adrian, I mean, we've never really had a football record from a season or a basketball record from a season. But you look at what she was able to accomplish yesterday, and easily that probably has to go in uh, you know, the, the top two or three individual UTEP uh, marks for, uh, for an ex-athlete. Yeah, it's hard. It, you'd have to kind of go back to all the track and field uh, great, great alumni that have been out there. I mean, uh, you know, we talked about uh, Toby Emanuel Career, who had a yep. who had a nice weekend as well. I mean, even also Anthony Rotich. Uh, I'm saying his name wrong, but he was inducted in the Conference USA Hall of Fame over the weekend as well, and he didn't even compete. He was just being honored. That uh, on Sports Talk along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplow. It's still to come. Adrian's movie review. We'll do that in the next two hours. Get you. Right up till uh, 7 o'clock. And also, Brett Bloomquist is going to join us in our 6 o'clock hour. But right now, I, I want to talk some hoops, uh, NBA hoops in particular, with Kurt Heelan. He uh, joins us from uh, Pro Basketball Talk uh, as we uh, discuss uh, some of the very interesting uh, NBA news. You know, Kurt, it's supposed to be the uh, slow, boring time in basketball. Right, right now, baseball and football dominate the uh, talk scene, but all it took was word leaking this morning that Boston was making a run at Kevin Durant for things to get a little more interesting again. Yeah, exactly. There, there, there's less of an offseason in the NBA. It's my running joke now that, uh, something's going to break next week because I'm going to be on vacation, and it just 
that's how that's going to go. It's going to screw up my vacation. Um, it is kind of crazy, though. I, I, I'm curious if, look, I have no doubt Boston had, I mean, there were conversations between Boston and Brooklyn about this and what it might look like and some back and forth. But it leaking now, I'm wondering if this was someone in Brooklyn trying to rekindle the fire a little bit. Things had gotten quiet after summer league. Guys had gone on vacation. Talks had slowed down. You know, same with Donovan Mitchell. Same with a lot of just rounding out the roster stuff. And I'm, I'm wondering if somebody said, you know, you know how we can relight that fire <laughs> and, and through the, through the Celtics in there. Possibly. Well, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with the Heat, Suns, and Raptors also in discussions uh, with Brooklyn for Durant, uh, I would doubt that those three have put together an offer that, at least on the surface, seems as enticing as what leaked today with Boston. I would agree. I think that Toronto's the only one I think can come close. Boston, I mean, let me rephrase that. Phoenix, I know, was his preferred landing spot uh, with DeAndre Ayton now off the table after the offer sheet and resigning. I don't see how you put it together a deal that works. I know for a fact that Brooklyn's lukewarm at best on a Tyler Hero based Miami package. And they, now you throw Bam Adebayo in, and that's different, but that create, it creates logistical problems with Ben Simmons and, and, and the rookie designated contract and beyond that you don't give a bam out of bio up they're not stupid so it, it, i think that my it you know boston with jalen brown and toronto with either i know that my, brooklyn wants uh scotty barnes the rookie of the year toronto doesn't want to put him in but they might listen on um uh pascal siakam yep uh, who's an all nba player like that's that's where we are. Like that, it's. I think those two teams can put together, and, and maybe New Orleans, if they cared to, could put together a really interesting package. But I, I don't. None of them seem. None of them. None of them are bidding against themselves. None of them are driving the price up. Kurt Heelan with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. You speculated that uh, you know right now Jalen Brown's one thing, but if you put Marcus Smart into that equation, yeah. uh, it changes things completely uh, for both teams. Do you see the Celtics ever doing that, or Brad Stevens is not ready to just take two guys that are such valuable pieces to that puzzle and offer them both up plus picks and everything else that uh, Brooklyn's going to want? Yeah, I just say I think that that might be more of a hey, we'll give you a nice player like Grant Williams, who's a good player but not as critical to their success. And another pick is a more likely scenario. They aren't going to want to put in like Robert Williams, the all you know all defensive team center. They're not going to want to put in the defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart, who more than just defensive player of the year, by the way, is kind of the culture core for them, right? Like, he's the guy who sets the tone in a lot of ways for them um, with his hustle, with his defense, with his personality. Um, on one, I'm just not sure that they're ready to give him up. And I'm wondering if – I think, again, I think Brad Stevens is smart enough to know they were two wins away from a championship. <laughs> this isn't some team you need to break up. So I'm with, yeah, I think you're right. I'm thinking he's thinking, oh, how far do I need to go for Kevin Durant? Because if I don't get Kevin Durant – I've still got one of the top two teams in the East right now. That's true. And if you're Brooklyn, how bad of a scenario is it if you uh, don't trade Kevin Durant and begin the season with both him and Kyrie? Yeah, that's. Um, you thought the Lakers could be a circus. That would be. A, that would be such a zoo. 
um, just a, a, I don't know. And that Kyrie Irving is kind of seems to be mentally settled on going back, realizing that there's. I want to say there's no market for his services because there's one team that would love to get his services, but there's no way to work out the Russell Westbrook deal with the Lakers. Um, I think he's kind of resigned to going back, and we'll see where Durant is. The funny thing is, I mean, not funny, but like just if you're the Nets and you're Nets management, do you feel like if you can get them all in the room and playing, that things might work out? Like with Durant and with Durant and Kyrie Irving, and if Ben Simmons is willing to accept the role, and they've got good role players, Joe Harris comes back, they've got Patty Mills, the former Spur, you get all of them back in a room, like, that team is as good as anybody in the East. Like, I don't know why, I, I think that, no, I shouldn't say that, I, I think I know why, but I think that there's a sense that, hey man, if we just bring them all in, maybe they realize how good they are, and everybody starts singing Kumbaya, and the thing kind of works out. I think that's a real long shot, but I, I I think they're willing to do that more than just take on a bad trade. On the Boston side of things, Kurt, did you before the story leaked? Did you kind of think that Jalen Brown was on the side of like untouchable for the Celtics, or or do you kind of have those list of players mm-hmm. that are are worth you know trading somebody like Jalen Brown and maybe Kevin Durant is worth it to Boston in this sense? Yeah, uh, the latter. I, I he is virtually untouchable. I think um, there are. Uh, maybe three players in the league, five players in the league that he might come up for in a trade, and and Kevin Durant is one of them. Jalen Brown is an incredibly good player, a good leader, improved every year, but he's not Kevin Durant, man. <laughs> he is not one of the great greatest scores the game has ever seen. So I think that that's really what it was. Like I don't think they really want to trade trade Jalen Brown, but Durant is the exception to the rule. The you know, and again, outside of him and Luka Doncic and, you know, a handful of other guys, you're just not going to make that deal. But Durant, if he's healthy, that is the exception. We're talking right now with Kurt Heelan for Pro Basketball Talk uh, here on Sports Talk. Now, I know the uh, sports world and baseball has been dominated by the Juan Soto trade rumors and hearing about what could happen. I don't want to say that Durant is the NBA version of Soto because he's a lot older and, and, you know, he's much closer to probably winding things down than Soto is. But I feel like that. I feel like in the NBA right now, if anybody is going to make a deal with Brooklyn, it's going to have to be the kind of trade that really sets up the Nets uh, for not just the, the future, but, but for the present as well. Right, well, they can't. The thing about Brooklyn is they, because they don't own their own picks, right? They traded everything to, to Houston in, for the Harden trade. They, they've just given away all their picks over the last few years to build this team. Bottoming, bottoming out, like tanking, isn't really an option for them. Like it is, uh, for example, Utah, right? They get five picks back in the Rudy Gobert trade. They're going to get five, give or take, with, with when, when they trade um, Donovan Mitchell. And, by the way, the most valuable piece they've got probably is that they control their own pick this year. So when they're terrible, that pick's going to be – that's how you rebuild through the draft. Brooklyn's already given away all their picks, and they'll get – obviously they'll get some back. But if you're, if you're getting them back from the team you trade Kevin Durant to, um, those aren't going to be your best picks ever. So – they're, they need players who can help now or they, they can develop now around Ben Simmons, right? Ben Simmons isn't going anywhere. You, I don't think you could trade him right now if you want. I mean, you could technically, but 
you could get a rack of shoot around basketballs back or something, but you can't get actual value for Ben Simmons right now. So you're talking about getting people back. You can build around him with and, and be respectable. I'm happy you mentioned Donovan Mitchell because that was hot a few weeks ago. Then things started to cool off. What are you hearing as far as when Utah w- would like to try to pull the trigger on this deal? Before training camp, this this one will happen, and it's almost still certainly going to be the Knicks. I know that there was a report came out today about uh, the Toronto and the Heat and the Kings were in there. Um, some other teams look a lot of much like with Durant, right? Like you have to make that call. Like twenty nine other GMs, well, in Durant's case, twenty eight because they would never trade him to the Knicks. But <laughs> all the other GMs need that you at least call, right? You at least poke around a little bit. I think that there's with Again, with Donovan Mitchell, you have to at least make the call and have a conversation. And there's some teams that would be, you know, Miami can put together a nice package. But nobody, again, Utah's trying to bottom out and get a lot of picks, and nobody can match that like the Knicks. They've not only got five picks, but guys, those are Knicks picks. And we've seen the Knicks try to put good things together, and we've seen what happens. You know, those picks on the back end could be really valuable. That being said, are the Knicks essentially bidding against themselves when they're trying to negotiate how many they give Utah in a potential deal for Mitchell? I think that's honestly what's holding things up a little bit is that Leon Rose, uh, the, the former agent who now is the you know the guy with the hammer in New York, he's been smart like for, about this. Like he's made moves I've liked, he's made moves I haven't loved. But he's been patient, and he hasn't made mistakes, right? He hasn't just, hey, you know what we need to do is go get a veteran superstar. Or we'll trade some picks for him. We got, you know, we, we were the Knicks. We can't rebuild. He has made smart decisions, and I think this is what's going on now. He's just, he's not going to get caught bidding against himself and and giving away too many picks of young players. And look, he's going to give up a lot, um, and they're going to form, frankly, with him and Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell. I think they kind of formed Portland East. So, a good team that's really entertaining that maybe can make one conference finals but isn't really a threat. But I, that's a huge step forward for the Knicks right now. I, I think they'll do it. I think it's right now it's just a matter of everybody's playing a game of chicken for how long they'll hold out for these picks. When we look at both KD and Donovan Mitchell, um, do our, do you think that either of these trades impact each other? Like, Will we see one kind of mm-hmm. uh, and then the other one immediately follow? Um, I think Donovan gets done first, but I don't think it impacts it that much. I mean, the only team, Toronto sort of, but Miami's really the only team kind of that would jump into both. And Miami has realized that they're looking more at Durant and getting a couple picks or maybe a player they can throw in um, there because the league has come to realize if Utah wants picks, they, they Nobody can match the Knicks. Like I said, they can trade up to eight. They're not going to trade eight. It'll be five or, you know, again, depending on the protections and whether Obi Toppin and, and Quentin Grimes are in the mix. Like, it's, you know, it's four or five, whatever. But even that, the, the Heat can't match. So I, I think that the Heat are – the Heat become more focused on Durant, but I think a lot of the league is going that way anyway because they just – they think the Knicks thing is going to get done. 
Let's wrap it up talking about the Lakers. You mentioned them moments ago, about Westbrook and how difficult it is to try and, and unload him. Um, is this going to potentially shape up to be another rough year for Laker fans, just given the current state of affairs uh, with this franchise at this point in time? Yes, and there'll be a lot of Spurs fans enjoying watching Laker fans suffer, would be my guess. Um, a, little, a lot of shot and forward. Yes, I just... Outside of getting Kyrie Irving, and, and that certainly could happen, I don't see another path to them being actually dangerous. Because even if LeBron James comes back and conf- continues to, I mean, he's not unbelievable, he continues to defy father time like nobody we've seen, except maybe Kareem. Um, and, you know, and let's say Anthony Davis bounces back and plays like more like bubble Anthony Davis and his jumper's falling and he's looking like a potential defensive player of the year. They're still mid-pack in the West. Like they, they don't have good players around them. Westbrook's not going to give them much. He isn't happy. Whatever Darvin Ham does as a new coach, and I like him, I, I think he, he's long deserved a shot, and I think he's going to thrive. There's only so much you can do. Like They're going to have two great players, but they're not going to have enough depth in a West that is, you guys know this, it's just stacked, right? I mean, it's just the Clippers are going to be healthy and good. Denver's going to be healthy and good. The Warriors are the defending champion. The Suns bring back the team that won 64 games last year. Memphis gets better. It's just, it is a brutal conference this year. Couldn't agree with you more. You want to read uh, more from Kurt and his team? Just go to NBCSports.com slash NBA. That's NBCSports.com slash NBA. Matter of fact, when you go to the site, you'll see the seven top remaining NBA free agents and uh, stories updated in real time on the website. Great job as always, Kurt. Appreciate it. Look forward to having you back on here down the road. Look forward to it, guys. Take care. Kurt Heelan as we continue uh, here on Sports Talk. 17 now past the hour. Let's go to Charlie One. We'll get a traffic update. And when we return, plenty more of your phone calls. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues at 600 ESPN El Paso. As we continue with hour number two on Sports Talk, you want to weigh in on the show, 505-6009. That's our telephone number, 505-6009. You can also tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. As we come your way live from the 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios and give you the opportunity to be part of the program. And I'll tell you right now, hope uh, all of you out there are uh, getting ready to chime in with us since there is uh, so much more in store uh, for you here on the program. By the way, Adrian, I, I look at um, basketball conversation right now after just this Kurt Heelan talk. I'm agreeing with you. I think the dominoes could fall once one trade is made. I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of sets the tone for the others. Yeah, I know he was kind of pushing a little bit back on that, but I just feel like the NBA is such a copycat league, and it's also one of those leagues where the Lakers are not doing anything as far as signing free agents until they know for sure that Kyrie is out of the mix. So I'm taking them as a small example. But the Heat, they want to be in all these discussions. Tyler Hero has been shopped around from Miami for a long time now, and he's still not see it doesn't seem like we have a clear path to see where he's going to be dealt so yeah I think that the dom once the dominoes fall with I agree with him Mitchell will probably go first then we should get the KD news relatively soon after that I'm with you on that one uh completely with you CUSA's media was asked to vote for football and 
<laughs> Let me just start by saying that Adrian and yours truly did not have a vote. But I'm okay with not being a part of Conference USA media. Me too. I almost would rather be part of the rogue media when it comes to Conference USA, right? Because we we rip this conference um, so often, it really would be weird uh, being a voting member of Conference USA. Even yeah. though, Even though we air their games, it's kind of asinine that a radio station that is the flagship of one of the schools has not been asked to vote. But that tells you more about Conference USA than you probably need to know. Yeah, I would rather be like, like let's say the, that really funny Twitter account, Conference USA Refs, if they had like a media group with there and they had a poll, I'd rather be a part of that media group versus the official Conference USA media poll. Uh, I don't want to be affiliated with that conference. I wouldn't want to either. I understand. Meanwhile, and by the way, here's what it looks like to me, okay? There's 11 schools, 22 total votes, Adrian, because UTSA received 14 first-place votes and UAB received eight first-place votes. So that tells me that each school gets two votes. I don't know how they decide it. But for the media, that's ultimately just doing the math. That's how CUSA has come up with their media poll. So my guess would be, and I have no clue, my guess would be maybe somebody from UTEP, like the communication side, and then they'd go beat writer. So maybe Brett, um, he, maybe he can confirm with us if he was a voting member at the top of the hour when he joins us. How do you give a media relations department in his school a vote since they're obviously going to be biased. Well, I'm thinking like a team broadcaster, maybe a TV broadcaster. So I'm with you on that. Like the, if the UTSA guy is going to say that UTSA should be the, the top team in the conference. So I'm with you on all, all that as far as the bias goes. I, I'm just trying to think of who they would ask right there. I don't know. I'd love to know, wouldn't you? Yeah. Maybe, anyway. some, maybe uh, some outside media members, some national media members. Who knows? There's 11 schools in Conference USA. The media has picked UTEP 6 out of 11. 6 out of 11. So here's the deal. The Miners are picked ahead of Charlotte, Middle Tennessee, Louisiana Tech, Rice, and FIU. They are picked behind North Texas, Florida Atlantic, Western Kentucky, UAB, and UTSA. Oh, and by the way, UTEP North Texas to kick off the season. But you tell us a lot about five and six in the media poll because that's exactly where uh, North Texas is right now, one spot ahead of UTEP. Oh, okay. So let, let's get some the ratings up for uh, five and six when they're when they're playing against each other. Uh, but really, this is an interesting list right here. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes up once the season's done. I think sixth is very generous to where UTEP has been historically on this list, uh, especially when you look at the East and West layout, how they used to have it. So now you kind of think, well, maybe UTEP could be middle of the pack. Maybe they can get back to another bowl game. At least uh, the conference USA media brass thinks so that's true that is true so uh this has got to be the highest utep has been picked in conference usa since the price years at least i would think that's the case i really would i don't think they were ever picked like this in coogler's time 
So chances are 6 out of 11 is the highest UTEP's been picked. And if you think about it, there is no East and West anymore. There is just one lump sum of 11 schools playing football this year in Conference USA. So don't think about it as East and West. Just think about it 1 through 11. UTEP is almost right in the middle. 6 out of 11. So a little bit, I mean... You know, five and a half is the um, is the midway point, so just a little bit below that. Yeah, in fact, I would say UTEP probably. I mean, excuse me, Conference USA probably lost more of the bottom feeders in Southern Miss and Old Dominion. Yep. Uh, maybe you could make an argument Marshall's right in the middle of the pack, maybe a little ahead of the middle of the pack, but it's not like they lost quality teams in football to the Sun Belt. That is true. That is absolutely true. The better teams are here, so I think that's 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 no doubt. So one of the questions we want to ask you, and it's perfect because it's in conjunction with Adrian's uh, UTEP football preview, which which dropped earlier today, is where do you see UTEP of the 11 uh, schools right now at Conference USA? Is six right about there? I mean, do you feel confident that that's where UTEP could finish at the end of the season? Or do you think that they're too high? Or do you think that they're too low? 505-6009, 505-6009, our telephone number, 600 ESPN El Paso uh, on Twitter. And, of course, our 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app where you can listen to the show and chat with us in real time. So those are the questions we're asking as we approach the midway point of the show, Adrian. And I don't know. I mean, based on last season and what they have coming back, um, I I feel like 6 out of 11 is probably – a conservative approach as to where the Miners could finish. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Now, can UTEP be a top-five team in this conference? That's my question, kind of looking at this in a bigger picture, because you know, just the uh, the returning players that they have, you, you're talking about nine on offense. I, I believe it was seven on defense. i got to look at my preview again. Uh, and then you, you look at just the players that they have, the experience ha- they have coming back. Maybe the top five is is realistic for UTEP to try to get into. Like, how are you going to convince me that North Texas is a top five team in this conference? Now, if you want to tell me that by the end of the year, Charlotte is going to boom this year and be a top five team, well, maybe. But I, I, I think that there is a path for UTEP to try to be a top five team. And I think that's what we, we got to look at right here with UTEP being better than si- being sixth overall picked by the Conference USA media. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one, too. Uh, We're going to get to more of this conversation and go a little deeper as we continue here on the program. But first, it's the middle of the show. Let's get right back to Adrian and get this SportsCenter update. Thank you very much. Now, let's take a deeper dive into this media poll based on the schedule, okay? So, number one, you look at who's on the schedule Uh, In terms of home games versus road games, teams ahead of the Miners in the poll versus behind the Miners in the poll. And right now, I'll tell you, it definitely favors UTEP this year in a big way. And here's why, okay? Other than UTSA, UTEP's conference road games are all against teams that are below them in the predicted order of finish in CUSA. Charlotte is picked seventh. Louisiana Tech is picked ninth, and then you have Rice picked 10th, and finally UTSA picked first. So other than UTSA, all of UTEP's conference games are against teams projected to be worse than them. Now, Florida Atlantic was picked fourth out of 11th. They're a home game. 
Middle Tennessee, 8 out of 11. That's a home game. FIU, 11 out of 11. That's a home game. So UTEP does not get UAB this year, who's ranked second. They don't get Western Kentucky this season. They're ranked third. Um, and, And if you think about that right out of the gate, I mean, it really does behoove UTEP right now in terms of the schedule because ultimately they're missing two of the top three teams, at least from the media, this season in Conference USA. That was something that we highlighted back in the spring when they released their revised Conference USA schedule that did not include Western Kentucky and UAB. And I thought those were the two teams that would give UTEP the biggest fits. UAB, year after year, is one of those challenging opponents, and the Miners don't have to face them this year. Neither do they have to face the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky, which, I mean, for UTEP, the schedule breaks out so favorably for them, having to play most of the bottom feeder teams on the road, and then like you mentioned, Florida Atlantic at home, you got North Texas at home, and those those teams round out the top five right there. Hey, look, we thought last season UTEP's schedule favored them early on, and it did, and they made the most of that schedule. This time around, from the conference standpoint, it's one of their most favorable schedules that they've had in a long time. And I'll tell you something. I love the fact that UTEP ends the season against UTSA. That's going to be really interesting because we don't know where these two teams will be in late November. And it's going to be fun to see where they both are and what if that game has significant consequences uh, when they get ready to kick off. Yeah, it's a really good point because uh, late in the season last year for UTSA, they played what they thought was a pretty meaningless game against North Texas, and they thought they were going to win that game easily. Well, they ended up dropping that game in a, in a huge margin. They lost 45-23, and that was the game to close out the year. And after that one, UTSA really couldn't gra- uh, really couldn't hold their bearings they lost to San Diego State in the Beach Bowl and uh, yeah I I found that one real interesting that that was how they closed out the year in kind of a down fashion against North Texas so the fact that UTEP has them the last game of this year I think that benefits UTEP in a big way I do too I definitely do too we don't know where these two teams are going to be in their stage of development let's put it this way we know we have an idea where we think UTEP should be Because of who's coming back in the experience, UTSA lost a ton of guys. A ton of guys. Now, they did rebuild. They had a great recruiting class. The question is, will they be able to take all those newcomers, throw them into the mix, and be able to be the best team at Conference USA? That is not a guarantee by any stretch. Yeah, call me a skeptic, but I'm way more high on the Blazers of UAB than I am UTSA because of all the production they lost. I know they bring back Frank Harris, who Steve, I feel like he's been in school for six years now with the Roadrunners. He he threw for over 3,000 yards last year, 27 touchdowns to just six interceptions. That's a guy that you're looking at for UTSA, but I I miss their running back. Their running back from last season was uh, one of their biggest parts, if not the biggest parts of their offense offense and that was why I felt like Frank Harris had so much success he could rely on that run game if things weren't going right in the in the passing game so now you don't have their their running core at UTSA you have to rely on more of a pass heavy offense under head coach a second year head coach Jeff Trailer. maybe they take a second year slump and, and maybe they still have success but not at this the level that they had last year where they finished 12 and 2. Yeah I mean we're not projecting they're going to be last in the league far from that all we're saying 
is before we hand them the conference uh, championship this year with all the newcomers they have and, and, and the uncertainty, let's see first how it works out. I, I think it's far from a, a, a guarantee that UTSA is going to be winning Conference USA this year. Yeah, I just feel like in Conference USA, you cannot rely on an air, air raid heavy offense. You can't be a pass heavy offense. The talent in Conference USA just simply isn't on par with uh, the likes of the Power Five, where they can spread the field and do that kind of stuff all the time. I, I even look at UAB. It's just a fundamentally sound run game with uh, Dwayne McBride. He's their he's their lead back. Uh, they've got another running back as well in Jermaine Brown, who killed UTEP last year when they played him. The biggest question mark with UAB coming in at number two and maybe the fact that they weren't picked number one is uh, they're having to deal with an interim head coach. Uh, Bill Clark unexpectedly resigned this summer and cited health issues. So that's the biggest question mark with UAB, how far along they are with their interim staff. We've turned it into a Twitter poll today on Sports Talk. And because we know CUSA has predicted UTEP to finish six out of 11, where do you think UTEP finishes in the standings? Give us your vote and also reply with your reasoning. That's what we want to know today here at uh, 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Pretty good poll, and Adrian, when will the poll close? I, I did this one in 24 hours so we can give people some time to actually vote, even if it's tonight or tomorrow morning. And think about it, right? And put their, uh, put their brains in and really give us some thought. All right, 39 past. The Sports Talk continues. Um, haven't told you a story yet about Angelina and her granddaughter, but I want to do it right now because they both wanted to sell their West Side home in order to downsize. And what they did was they listed that home with Brian Birds and his team, and the results were amazing. In fact, the home was listed for $173,000, but it took eight days, only eight days, to sell for one eighty-six, putting them in a great position to buy their new smaller home. Angelina and their grand and her granddaughter were so happy to have Brian and his team walking them through the process. You know what? Brian Birds can do that for you too. That's the beauty, folks. That's what the difference is with Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by EXP Realty. Now, if you're worried about leaving money on the table if you sell your home, don't worry because Brian's got you covered. In fact, it's all about the fact that Brian has people ready to buy your home. He has a program called Coming Soon Homes Program, which means homes listed with him are sold within minutes because his buyers get a free head start. You could be just like that and get that same exact head start. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos, not to mention the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. Call Brian Birds today, 751-1500. Online at brianbirds.com or Google Brian and start packing. Hey, El Paso, have you heard? To sell your home, get Call Brian Birds. Go to brianbirds.com. One of my favorite times of the show. Time for Adrian's movie review. When Adrian goes back in time to a movie he has never seen before, watches it for the first time, and then describes it for us and gives us his rating system as well. Adrian, uh, our friends at Alamo Draft House sponsoring your movie review, and uh, thanks to them for making this possible. Uh, I know you got a lot on your plate, so let's let's get right to it. What do you have for us today? Yeah, thank you so much, Steve. First off, let me go with Alamo Draft House. They have a brunch screening actually this Sunday at 11 o'clock 
for the a league of our of their own. How about that? Oh, Steve? I like that. It's a brunch where you could go to this. You can actually pay for your tickets, and then get this. You could pair this uh, this movie with an egg BLT, French toast, or breakfast tacos that you could get from the Alamo Draft House brunch menu, and then pair it with a cocktail classic like the Desert Spring Water or an Italian Seventy Five, and that's happening at Alamo Draft House this weekend. A league of their own, and it's it's uh, eleven o'clock on Sunday at the East location. The uh, movie that I'm going to be reviewing today is Officer and a Gentleman. Contrary to the title, the main character Zach is kind of a navy brat. He's a jerk, and he wants to be a navy pilot, so he enrolls in this school. He gets harsh treatment from Sergeant Foley, and he has a friend named Sid, and then he starts dating a girl named Paula. So it sets the stage pretty nicely. Sergeant Foley uh, pretty much hazes all the recruits out there. In fact, one recruit almost drops out after drowning nearly. And uh, that was tough. Zach gets in trouble because uh, the sergeant finds out that he pre-shines shoes and belts for the other recruits as kind of a way to get some extra cash. But Zach refuses to be hazed at this first time. And uh, Foley threatens to expel him. Well, that's where you have that famous scene where Zach breaks down and says, quote, I have no or I got nowhere else to go. The situation unfolds later on in the story with Sid. Unfortunately, he battles anxiety an anxiety attack and problems with his girlfriend. Well, he, he hung himself and uh, commits suicide. Zach blamed himself. He wanted to quit. He goes to Colt Foley, but uh, the sergeant convinces him to stay. Zach then completes his training, becomes the officer, and uh, he gets approval from the sergeant. And then he carries Paula out of her work, signifying that they will be together. And that's how it ends up. Um, got some facts for you on this one. John Denver was initially cast as Zach. Also, Jeff Bridges, John Travolta, who was cast for this. But John Travolta and everybody else turned this uh, opportunity down. Richard Greer, who you know is as Zach, the actress who played Paula, said that he was kind of like a brick wall. They never got along off stage, despite their onstage love. Um, I, I might be saying his name wrong. Luis Gossett Jr., Steve? Lou Gossett Jr., yes. Lou Gossett Jr. He won the Best Supporting uh, Actor for the Oscar that year. And how about this? The director throughout the entire filming of this movie kept him away from everybody else, all the other actors, to in- make him more intimidating as a sergeant. Huh. Uh, this was a, a drama, a romance film. It succeeds in kind of tugging your heartstrings, and it stays true to the story. And by the way, soundtrack was fire. Van Morrison, ZZ Top, Dire Straits. I liked it. Uh, this one is a solid film, Steve. I was kind of thinking initially out of the gate watching this one. It was a little boring. Like I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a plain banana, 5 out of 10. But then it picked up throughout mm-hmm. the film. I, I thought it, it has some really nice highlights, plus the spin at, at you know with his friend. You didn't see that one coming. It's totally a twist. Uh, I'm going to have to give this one 7 out of 10 bananas, a, a very watchable movie, very solid movie. Well, I like that. 7 out of 10 to me is solid is right. So that's exactly where it stands. Um, 
Does this movie hold up? Does it still hold up in your opinion? Yeah, it's you know we don't see enough war or like you don't we don't see a lot of war or like army navy kind of based movies anymore. Steve, like you you see them once in a while. I, the only one I could think of recent like in recent memories like Dunkirk as far as and I guess you could you could throw Top Gun in that mix, but more kind of uh, like not like kind of like nonfiction kind of base. Like this one feels like it could have been a real movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, I th- I think it. Uh, does stand the test of time. Plus, you still hear most of these stories out of the military as far as how they treat their recruits nowadays anyways. Yeah, that's true. That is true. All right, officer and a gentleman here today on Sports Talk. And uh, that is what we're going to be, you know, thinking about today. I like that League of Their Own situation. That's pretty good Sunday at 11 o'clock on the east side location. Yeah, their brunches are a lot of fun. They they usually do it for families and for kids, actually. And they'll do kind of like an unlimited cereal menu at Alamo Drafthouse, which I really like. So they'll play a kid's movie at 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock on a Saturday or Sunday, and then everybody can eat all-you-can-eat cereal. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's like included in your ticket. Cereal, you know, my 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 son would love that. It's like his go-to. Do they have a lot of uh, varieties of cereal to choose from? Yeah, I heard they have like uh, multiple varieties, multiple varieties of milk. You could even put like toppings, like fruit and stuff like that, in them. I heard they they go all out. It's like a cereal bar that they have for you. That's awesome. That is that's a good way to do it. That's one way to spend uh, spend a weekend out there at Alamo with all you can eat cereal. I like that. Um, It's a great idea. Anyway, as we continue here on Sports Talk, Brett Bloomquist is right around the corner. Brett covers UTEP for the El Paso Times. We haven't had Brett on in over a it seems like forever. Yeah, it feels like a long, long time. We need to catch up with Brett for sure. We'll do it next to begin our 6 o'clock hour and get his thoughts on UTEP football training camp, which starts on Wednesday. Hard to believe that the Miners are back Wednesday getting ready for the 2022 season. Where has the summer gone? I'll tell you where. It went right away with a six-week vacation for EPISD. There is no summer. So we'll talk more with Brett next right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue. This is the Brett Bloomquist theme song to start our final hour of sports talk. It describes his entire journalistic career at the El Paso Times. Slow ride from Foghat as we welcome in to the program Mr. Brett Bloomquist. Covers the UTEP Miners, among other things, for the El Paso Times. Bloomy, how has your summer been going? It's been going dandy. I just got back today from uh, Eugene, Oregon, where I watched former UTEP uh, superstar Toby Amuson become the new face of track and field. So it's been a it's been a fun couple of weeks. I spent ten days up there. That is awesome. By the way, that is um, was that was that an actual paid work trip? Uh, I didn't have to use vacation for it, and uh, track and field news actually uh, gave me a hotel which uh, uh, best western was like 250 dollars a night and i got 10 nights of that for free and a little on the side working for them and i uh, didn't have to use vacation for the el paso times but other than that kind of paid my own way bloomy you worked a deal man that's the kind of thing that uh, adrian and, and yours truly pride ourselves for when we could put deals together like that congratulations that you uh, that you scored yourself 10 days in oregon Oh man, it was it was a blast. Like I said, I uh, just just got back a few hours ago, and uh, man, it was a lot of fun. But uh, ready to start up on UTEP football now. 
By the way, uh, Toby's performance, I know they, it's wind-dated, so the record won't hold up, but um, you've covered a, a lot of UTEP track and field since you've been here in El Paso. Have you seen anything like what she did over the weekend? I really haven't. I don't know that much of track and field has, and keep in mind, one of her world records did hold up. I mean, she's now the world record holder with her semifinal run. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, Nothing, nothing like it. I mean, she kind of came in. She fourth in the last two uh, big championships, Olympics and the 2019 uh, Worlds, and suddenly, you know, came in seated fourth, knocked three tenths of a second off her time, ran a time that I think no one comprehended. There were three world records in this championship. The other two you could see coming. She was the one you couldn't. You know, there there was a reason that everybody was just kind of stunned after it happened. I mean. People were asking, is that real? Michael Johnson tweeted a bunch of that, but believe me, I heard that up there on press row, and then it turned out it was real. It was amazing. Not to mention the fact that she didn't just set records. She blew away the competition, especially when you watch the way she ran semifinals and then the finals. Uh, it was incredible to see how dominant she was. Yeah, you know, one thing I can a little bit compare it to when the, the U.S. Uh, Hockey team, 1980, Miracle on Ice, goes out and beats the Soviet Union, and then people forget they had to come back two days later and beat Finland. Yep. She had to come back two hours later after setting a world record that was you know, just so mind-blowingly unbelievable out of nowhere. And then she had to come back two hours later for the first time. She's been a favorite since you know 2017 at UTEP, and, and then she wins the thing just dominatingly with a faster time even. Yeah, it was amazing, and like I said, that second race where she actually won the world championship ran a little bit faster, even though it didn't count. It was just an incredible week for her. When you had a chance to talk to her after uh, both the semifinal and the final runs, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, just the mood Toby was in, and, and and just what it was, what the experience was like for her. Yeah, they unfortunately, I, she did a few interviews after the semifinal where she set the world record, but then was able to bug out. She had to come back in two hours, and believe me, the interview process is more than an hour. So, anyway, you know, when I saw her afterwards, she was, you know, the first thing she sees that, you know, there's like, you know, a, a, a week ago, I, I interviewed her, and it was me and her, and we were the only people on the track. And, you know, I don't know how much interest there was in the whole world in her. And then yesterday, there's like nine media people lined up to, you know, do the big group crush with her. And she takes one look at me and pulls out her picks and starts going, UTEP, UTEP, waving her picks around. So that was kind of fun. It was so weird afterwards, like in the in the press conference, which came much later, you know, someone was asking her if she wears a distance runner spikes, which is unusual. But evidently that's, like, become a big deal now that, like, somehow there's an unfair advantage for wearing those. And, you know, that was a big focus of, like, the ESPN article. And they asked her, and she – you could tell she's like, it's not the shoes, it's me. It was it was really interesting to watch her in the space of a couple hours go from, you know, as I put it in the story today, a face in the crowd to the face of the sport. She's suddenly at the center. I mean, like the whole world's looking at her now in track. And, you know, it, it's amazing. You know, two days ago she was anonymous. Now she's like a big star of the game.
It's awesome. Brett Bloomquist with us talking about Toby Amusen here on Sports Talk after her world record performance uh, yesterday in Oregon. Uh, so now you're back, and uh, in two days you start UTEP football because the Miners begin their training camp in July in preparation for their uh, season opener, which uh, looks like it's headed to a sellout against uh, North Texas. We saw today, by the way, Bloomy, that the uh, media poll has UTEP pick sixth out of 11 are you one of the voting members of the uh, media in that poll? I am not. I know uh, I'm sure one of them is John Teicher, and I don't know who the other one is. But, no, I did not I did not get a vote in that. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> yep. Because we didn't either, and we're still trying to figure out who's part of the uh, voting member of the uh, CUSA media poll. Let's assume it is Teich. Do you think they actually give it to the sports uh, information departments in the school, or do you think they, they outsource it? If I had to guess, sports information department. Uh, oh, my but, God. But I, that is so CUSA. Uh, I don't know who else it would be if it's not you or me. That is as CUSA as it gets, but that's okay. Uh, six out of 11, Brett, uh, you tell us, because we put a Twitter poll up uh, just a little while ago, is that about where you would expect UTEP to be in terms of uh, preseason polls? Uh, yeah, I'd certainly expect it. I mean, you, you kind of go off the year before. They were, you know, seven and six, uh, pretty easy non-conference schedule, I think. You know, you do what they did the year before, you put them in the middle. And that's, you know, I mean, you just kind of go down the list. It's pretty much where they finished last year. And, yeah, that's, you know, that seems about right for UTEP. I think if things go right, they could do a little better, could do a little worse. We'll find out. But, you know, that that's probably a good place for them to start. As we mentioned earlier in the show, they've got a favorable schedule because uh, ultimately they don't play UAB, they don't play Western Kentucky. They were ranked two and three in the poll. Um, they get to play Florida Atlantic at home. They get to play North Texas at home. And outside of UTSA, their road games are against schools that are below them in the preseason poll. So when you actually look at the way the CUSA schedule is shaping up, probably about as favorable as UTEP fans could ask for. It's hard to imagine that's a coincidence. I think that's a thanks-for-staying bonus. I've kind of joked in this format they have, you could have two teams go undefeated. You know, who gets to host the championship game? And, you know, and I'm sure the answer is they go off, of, you know, the computer poll tiebreaker. But it'd be funny if they just gave it to the team that's committed to staying in the conference the longest. But it certainly looks like UTEP got a kind of an obviously favorable draw. You know, one of the five teams that stay in Ducks number two and three. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think they got a lot to be happy about. And then uh, that season opener is, you know, a home game against the team one spot in front of them, North Texas, which, you know, I think is exactly when they'd want to play North Texas and where. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think they got a very, you know, and, and it doesn't surprise me that, the, you know, one of the teams staying in Conference USA got a pretty favorable draw. With, uh, you know, going into training camp, Brett, with nine returners on offense, seven on defense, what are the areas or position groups that you're most concerned about? Or, or maybe the position groups that could get better uh, here as fall ca uh, camp approaches? Well, you look at what they've graduated. I mean, obviously, they, they lost 70% of their receptions and reception yards. That's, uh, that's the big thing is, to, you know, 
they've got to replace Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett. And that's, you know, I, I don't know. It may be a long time before there's another Cowing here and Garrett was awfully productive. So it's a lot of work to do and they've got a, a lot of names and, you know, Tyron Smith kind of leading the batch who uh, went into the transfer portal and changed his mind. You know, defensively, they, they you know, they've got to replace three quarters of their secondary, which again, you know, they return the line, they return linebackers. So, you know, that's going to be the issue and that's what they recruited towards. So that certainly should be the areas of biggest improvement. Well, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to improve on receiver, but, you know, relative to, you know, what they, you look at coming in, I think receiver and secondary are places that they're looking at places they're they're optimistic about with who they have there what about special teams at some point special teams it felt like even cost them some some uh games at, at points last year do you feel like that's a huge emphasis for this team coming into fall camp yeah i definitely do uh yeah i mean that that has to be there is the lowest bar to attack right there but i think uh you know, if they get Walter Dawn at kick returner and they, they brought in that guy Marcus Bell, and, I mean, they specifically recruited him to fix the punt return game and, you know, Walter Dawn back from injury, they, they should be better. It's hard. It, it would be hard to be worse. And they, you know, have a respectable kicker and punter. So they've got the talent there. Now they've, they've actually got to put it together, and I, that will be a big focus for them. How do you think this team will respond when it kind of changes its changes its philosophy from hope and and wish uh, to now the expectations are on them? I feel like that's it's got to be some kind of a, a philosophy or mentality shift that has to go through these players' heads. No question. You know, I've written it before, and I'll write it again. That as hard as it's been for UTEP to find success, the harder part has been sustaining it. You know, they had a a decent season in 2010, immediately regressed. Good season in 2014, immediately regressed. And each time, it was years before they were good again. You know, I think we're looking at 04, 05, the last time, back-to-back bowls. This year sets up for it. I mean, it seems like, you know, they have a team that could do it. I mean, the non-conference schedules, I, I would say, one game tougher than it was last year. Uh, but, you know, I yeah, that, that but the conference – Again, you know, they should be mid-pack in the conference. If they split their non-conference games, split their conference games, they go to a bowl, and that would be a big deal. And it's just not something they've done. And that is, you know, that is dealing with success, you know, dealing with a little prosperity. And seven seven and six, just a little prosperity. That's not something UTEP's done well, so that's something they got to get better at. Brett Bloomquist with us from the El Paso Times as we continue. What are some of the biggest storylines that you're going to be looking for when uh, you start covering fall camp here on Wednesday? Well, I mean, that's a lot of it right there. You know, receiver, defensive back, and how do they deal with success? I'm sort of curious to see, you know, their defense started so great last year and I think really did take a big step forward, you know, as the – Last half of the season, the competition got tougher. But, you know, their second year with Bradley Dale Pivato, how much better do they get this year? And they're starting from a, a reasonably high bar. And then, you know, just, you know, the whole sustaining success thing is just not something they, they've done a lot. So interesting to see if they can do that. And then, you know, Gavin Hardison, I think there's a lot of belief and trust in him. 
you know, this coming year is he, you know, he's one of the four guys, four conference USA quarterbacks on the preseason watch list. I don't know that you put any stock on that, but you know, is he a four, five, six quarterback in this conference, or does he become a star? You know, and is one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the conference, which he has the talent to do. You know, that's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think he's worse than mediocre, but his ceiling's a whole lot higher than that. So where that ends up may end up. You know, and some of that will have to do with receivers, but how UTEP does. Nice job, Brett. Welcome back to town, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on as we get ready to start uh, UTEP football here in about a month. Awesome. Great being with you. Brett Bloomquist, folks. Check him out, ElPasoTimes.com, and he's got everything. He's got you covered. As simple as that. He's got you covered with everything UTEP related. All right, we'll come back with more right after Charlie One, who's standing by with this traffic update. Welcome back. Sports talk continues. 22 past the hour. 505-6009. That is our telephone number. You can weigh in on the show. 505-6009. You can also tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso. I spoke to uh, San Fran Sam earlier uh, uh, this weekend, and he is uh, willing to come on uh, in the 6 o'clock hour this week and kind of review all 43 parks he's been to in wow. Major League Baseball. That's some great news, Steve. I Yes, we need to ha- make this happen. I'm all in for this. This is awesome. He's been to all of them, all the current parks, and some of the older ones too. So he can really, he can really kind of put it in perspective. Man, we could go. We could ping around all the different ones. We can ask him specific questions about each one. Uh, look up some different things and ask him if he noticed that or this or you know how that two dollar hot dog maybe was at, at the Diamondbacks. If he actually ate a two dollar hot true. dog, right? Very true. I don't know. You go to a, you go to a ballpark and you're only making like one trip. Are you really dropping only two bucks for a hot dog? Oh, definitely not. Please uh, drop a little bit more than just $2, please. I think so, too. So we'll do San Fran Sam this week in the 6 o'clock hour and get his thoughts on everything that uh, he's seen so far through Major League Baseball uh, with all the all the parks he's had a chance to visit. Uh, and that conversation will be coming up here uh, during the week. All right, our thanks to Brett Bloomquist. Terrific spot for Brett. By the way, also uh, thanks uh, to all of our guests. Uh, Sammy Natera has uh, joined us as well. And uh, not to mention Kurt Heelan in our 5 o'clock hour. If you missed any of sports talk, you missed any of it, don't worry. You can listen in on demand wherever uh, you check out uh, podcasts or any type of uh, audio on demand because we've got it for you. we got you covered, whether it's uh, the iTunes store, whether it's Spo- the Apple store, I should say, Spotify, whether it's Google Play, uh, Android devices. I feel like we're on every platform there is. That's exactly right. You can catch us wherever. And if you don't have any of those, you just go 600ESPNElPaso.com and you can check out our podcast there. So there you go. Good. Good way to look at it. Um, Over the weekend, this was yesterday, or Saturday I should say, um, El Paso Locomotive FC dropped their second straight match. They lost to San Antonio FC 1-0. But I think the bigger concern right now is that this club has played their last 180-plus minutes without scoring a goal. And we watched, you know, soccer is so interesting to me. It really is. Think about this, okay? They started out scoring, and they couldn't stop anybody. They tightened up the defense. Part of that was because they were losing players to injuries and national teams and and got that figured out. And then all of a sudden, the defense was solid, 
And the goals started to continue to come. I mean, the goals have really not been an issue all season. They've been scoring goals at a pretty good clip, okay? And then these last two matches, they, well, they gave up four against uh, Oakland and then one on Saturday at home, but they haven't scored. And offense hasn't really been a problem all season. So you're kind of wondering right now, if you're a Locomotive uh, fan, what's going on? Because truthfully, um, you you figure that they're always going to get at least one or two per match, and sometimes more than that. But to go uh, scoreless now in, in two full matches, one being at home, that's something we haven't seen this year. No, we haven't. And uh, you know, I'd I'd refer I'd refer everybody to go to our website, six hundred ESPNLPasa.com. Uh, Joe Rod included some quotes in what people were saying and hearing things from players, whether it's Lucho Solanac or whether it's head coach John Hutchinson, uh, where you hear things like the team needs to quote want it a bit more and be a little bit more hungrier. Like that that's the stuff you don't want to hear, Steve, because that means it's urgency. That means it's effort at that point. And I get it. There are a lot of things going off the pitch right now with the locomotive FC that has probably been uh, distracting beyond measures but at the same point you have to judge this team on their performances on the pitch and how they succeed or or fail and losing in the Copas Tejas uh, outright to San Antonio FC at home that's a tough loss for the locomotive FC and it's and it's a loss to their ego in a sense and their and how excited their fans get over the, the Copas Tejas so that, that's that's where it gets tough there no it really does and you know san antonio came in stole three points and ultimately uh, delivered a big one uh against uh, el paso locomotive fc and it's interesting because when you look at you know how that game how that match went down you know there they did have scoring opportunities um you could see it el you know el paso did have plenty of opportunities but they just couldn't get it in and at the same time, you know, it's it's frustrating, Adrian, because once again, uh, scoreless first half, but San Antonio struck early, and that's the way things held up. And what's even crazier to me was how there was absolutely no defense back uh, during the only goal that was uh, scored in the match. Nobody got back, and ultimately, um, you know, they beat, um, the goalkeeper through the five hole, but it was just a shame that they really didn't get any help. Yeah, I, I also like what Yuma said on, on just kind of those lines. Quote, uh, they are the first place team, but they didn't demonstrate absolute superiority over us. And I, I think that's a takeaway for this because maybe the locomotive behind closed doors really wanted this game to kind of prove to everybody that things are okay. They can get things back on track. Everything is fine. Uh, however, uh, by that defensive lapse that you just mentioned right there, allowing that goal, and yeah, only losing 1-0 to the first place team, but still, that's on your home turf. You've been unbeaten in the last 10 matches. That's not a good look for the locomotive. They need to win as many as they can. I mean, gosh, especially all the stuff that they dealt with off the field. It was a pass from midfield that essentially caught locomotive FC napping, and that was the hardest part. And Matt Boehner tried to get back, couldn't get back in time, and he was probably wondering where was the defense because they snuck him through and was were able to get the goal. Yeah, that's disappointing to hear right there. And and for Locomotive, now they'll have to take on Louisville City FC. That's the first time these two will ever fa- face each other right there. And Louisville being one of the biggest uh, franchises in the USL Championship, this is going to be a tough one again for the Locomotive. So uh, 
they're reeling right now. This is a this is a tough part of the season for the Locomotive FC. Let's see what what they could do here. Now, uh, as Joe mentioned, there was controversy for the one goal because they thought that there could have been an offsides call. I think that was what Boehner was frustrated with. He thought there was offsides too. But um, you couldn't really see a good replay because what happened was was that the um, the cameras cut away to Newton as the ball was getting sent in to Santiago Patino, who ends up scoring the only goal. So because there were no camera shots of the pass, you couldn't tell if there was, if they were offsides or not. Man, I it's 2022. I can't believe we're dealing with camera angle controversies with uh, officiating. That that's cra- That's bizarre to even hear about. I'm with you on that one. So, um, you know, soccer's a long season. We've noticed from just the first three years of Locomotive FC, plenty of ups and downs uh, with the season. And ultimately, you hope that heading into uh, the playoffs, your team is playing the best they possibly can play. And there's there's a few months before we have to worry about that here with El Paso Locomotive FC. But given what happened last week with um, Velasquez now in Israel, and then the situation with Richie Ryan, which still hasn't been resolved there's just still a lot of questions right now with Locomotive FC. Yeah, and I know they also have some newcomers who still need to be completely integrated in the mix. We saw some debuts this weekend for the first time, uh, but that's that's another thing to really note as well is that for some of these guys who are just getting active, just getting uh, with this squad, it probably they probably need some time to get acclimated. I'm with you on that one. All right, bottom of the hour. We got one last Sports Center update. It's coming up next. Here's Adrian with the latest, then we'll get right back to it. 600 ESPN El Paso. Um, by the way, I'll say this. Um, there were some great chances late in that game uh, for a Locomotive FC, and there were some terrific saves. And if you watch the goal, everybody on the pitch that was wearing a Locomotive jersey thought it was offsides. Everybody. This was not, this was not even close. And unfortunately, just because there were no replays of the play, you couldn't review it to see if in fact it would be reversed yeah I get it the controversy is there with this locomotive group and, and that goal uh, and it's the what what could have been and but at the same point it goes back to what you originally led with with the locomotive they haven't scored in yep. so long they need to find a way to generate some offense because that's what's really hurting them it's not necessarily their defense we know Evan Newton their goalkeeper is a strong player on their team as well it's their offense that just isn't generating much on this locomotive's team and remember this too okay when things are not going well, you're on the wrong side of the calls. It's as simple as that. When when things are going good, the calls go your way. When things are not going as well, calls will go against you. So now they've got Louisville City this weekend, and it's going to be the Christmas scarf in July giveaway, or in August. I think it's August already by uh, Saturday. So the question now is, Adrian, can the um you know well, actually no it's, I'm saying it's still July yeah thirty first thirty first can uh, locomotive FC right the ship in time yeah that's a big question right there thirtieth actually July thirtieth right there but uh yeah the um the locomotive this is their this is their time right here you've got this August through October stretch for them and this is the time where they have to amp it up you know to other levels to try to make the postseason to try to throw themselves in the mix to try to make a deep postseason run and that's the expectations. 
with this group. Uh, you know, from years past, this team has pr- proven and shown that they can go uh, in the postseason and have success. So that's where the standard is. Let's see where what the Locomotive FC can do under first-year head coach John Hutchinson. I'm with you on that one. All right, uh, 35 now past the hour as we continue. Hey, we mentioned, uh, we talked all about being sixth in the preseason media poll. What we did not mention, by the way, was the preseason watch list as selected by the 11 head coaches on Monday. And there are four quarterbacks on the watch list. Gavin Hardison is one of them. Um, there were about a handful of wide receivers on the watch list. Tyron Smith was one of them. Surprising, right? That's a kind of bit. a little surprising. I think that right now you would think that you lose Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett. Maybe it's going to be a big loss, but maybe the coaches know that Tyron Smith is a guy that has um, you know, big-time play potential on there. Yeah, maybe they the other coaches, the other media members, they side with uh, maybe the pro, the system that UTEP has in place instead of necessarily picking one running back of the two in Ronald Awat and Deion Hankins. Why not give uh, their, their top wideout target or maybe at least option going into the season in Tyron Smith? Um, Elijah Klein, did that surprise you that he was on the offensive line all preseason? No, it didn't. He's he's racked up a ton of starts under his belt, so he's warranted to be on this list. I, I was just surprised center Andrew Mayer was not on this list. Uh, that's a good one, too. You're right about that. Um, Andrew Mayer was not on this list. Um, I was also surprised. The biggest uh, takeaway for me that I was shocked is that on the defensive side of the ball, Praise Amehule is the only minor on this list, given the fact that we know how strong that defense is going to be. Yeah, I wonder if this is a product of uh, uncertainty with linebacker Breon Hayward, who is still pending that NCAA tra- uh, that waiver that's coming this fall. All signs, all signals point that he will get that waiver approved. It's just a matter of when that finally gets done. But what about Dennis Barnes? What about Kelton Moss, Keenan Stewart, even on the opposite side of praise? Yep. You've got Jadrian Taylor, who almost led conference USA last year in sacks. So, yeah, I look at those guys those were obvious snubs right there. You can make some arguments for a couple others, like Tyree Snyde, if you really wanted to. I mean, both Tyree Snyde and Breon Hayward had over 100 tackles last year. I did not expect Josh Sloan to be on the watch list, the sophomore punter from UTEP, but he was also part of that watch list. Yeah, I, I didn't expect that either, but he's a younger guy. Maybe Conference USA wants some of their younger talent to blossom in this in, in Conference USA. Also, I just feel like there are some shanked punts from Josh Sloan, and I know that you know Gavin Beckley is, is one of those uh, – I would say he's one of your your more um, reliable kickers that you're going to find in, especially place kicker wise. He's not going to miss any extra points. He's not going to miss any gimmies as far as field goals. I, I think that he should have gotten way more recognition, um, you know, it, it, for this uh, preseason watch list. Thirty-seven now past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. So again, good conversation. You got to start thinking now about football because it's right around the corner. Starting Wednesday, Miners will be working out in preparation for their season opener, and uh, we're looking forward to talking more about that as well. All right, final countdown right around the corner. We'll go through some odds and ends, some things we haven't talked about just yet. So stay with us. Wrap it up. If you want to duck a call in, 505-6009. Tweet the show, 600 ESPN El Paso. Coming back with more right here, 600 ESPN El Paso.